In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, faith and faithfulness runs throughout our readings on this, the 18th Sunday after Pentecost. We hear the faith of Ruth as she confesses, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if even death parts me from you. We see the faithfulness of God to his creation. As his son it restores the diseased bodies of ten lepers, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. We hear and see faith and faithfulness in our readings, but faith can be a largely misunderstood topic in our community. Contemporary thought separates as opposites, faith and facts, subjective and objective, emotion and reason. Yet true faith, saving faith, begins with facts. It's grounded in historical events, and it owes its very existence to the Spirit, with a capital S, who comes to us, and not the Spirit with a small s that arises within us. So to help us understand this distinction, I'd like to do things a little differently this morning. Um, you have the text in your bulletin from Paul's second letter to Timothy. Uh, I'd like to invite you to follow along if you'd like to. We're going to go verse by verse looking for faith under three different headings. First, the faith, the faithfulness of God as a divine attribute. The words of the psalmist come to mind, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Second, we need to distinguish the faith that believes. Faith is a verb. This is the faith that speaks the words of the creed. I believe in God the Father, etc. Faith as an action, internal action of the heart and the mind of the believer. And finally, the faith that is believed, the content or the words of the creed. So our text begins, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By the grace or in the grace. Grace is the faith that is believed. God's economy of salvation. The incarnation of his son, his life of perfect obedience, his substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection and his glorious ascension to the right hand of power where he rules as King of kings and Lord of lords. That grace, it is an external fact grounded in historical events and attested by the Holy Scripture. It is the faith that is believed. Two other passing comments before we move on. Did you notice the compassionate and loving address my child. You know, it seems the character of Timothy is forever tied to the apron strings of Lois and Eunice. But that was decades earlier. Timothy has been serving as a pastor, more accurately, as a bishop over Asia Minor for a long time now. Yet Paul still refers to him as my child. Those are pastoral words. Words that convey a sense of identity with Timothy as a fellow child of God, urging him to discharge his office faithfully. How? Be empowered. Paul writes in the passive voice, not from within, but from without. 
by the Holy Spirit, Timothy and Paul and you and I and all Christians receive power to be faithful. Verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Again, this is the faith that is believed. What you have heard from me. It is no secret knowledge passed on in dark corners. No. Our translation implies that there were many others present when Timothy heard the content of faith, in the presence of many witnesses. But the Greek would also allow us to translate it this way, through many witnesses. The ancients, um, one of the ancient fathers suggesting that the angels are our helpers, our fellow servants, faithful witnesses of the faith. Notice also the command, entrust to faithful men. Presumably, it is again the content of faith that is the, the good news to be entrusted. But we should recognize our own work here, supporting Vicar Brinker as he is, we assist him in preparing to speak the faith into our ears in the times and the seasons ahead. And not just our ears, but those in the community outside our walls. With verse 3, we move from the content of faith to the activity of faith, the faith that believes. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul, ever a theologian of the cross, highlights the sufferings that all Christians encounter. Suffering we endure because Jesus has gone before us and returns to be with us in that suffering. This becomes a strong inducement to work the works that God has prepared for us to do, Ephesians 2. Or as our Lord's half-brother James wrote, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We continue as Paul advances his military analogy. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He writes from the perspective of the soldier, of you and me. But what is the motivation to action? The desire to please the one who enlisted us, to please God not out of fear of punishment, but because of the glory of his promise. Again from the epistle of James, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Here we see, we understand faith and faithfulness as a divine attribute. God's faithfulness something we can rely on in absolute certainty in every circumstance. Verses 5 and 6 offer two more analogies for the faith that believes. The image of an athlete competing according to the rules and a hard-working farmer. Once again, we see faith working itself out in action. The fathers had much to say about the rules that the athlete competes under and how we can make them apply to our lives. Gregory of Nyssa, for example, writes, how can there be a lawful contest if there's no opponent? If there's no opponent, there's no crown. Victory does not exist by itself without there being a defeated party. So who is that defeated party except Satan in the world and our own flesh that the faith which believes must constantly resist? Therefore, onward then, by faith. We return to the text. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. 
Once again, we hear the faithfulness of God who gives understanding. To the church in Corinth, Paul had written, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But we do understand because God has given us the spirit in baptism and in the word proclaimed that we might know his faithfulness. At the end of verse 7, Paul makes a little bit of a transition. Earlier he spoke to Timothy as my child, giving him encouragement in the faith. Now he speaks as the father as the, and his circumstances. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. My gospel, of course, is the content of faith, the faith that is believed. But notice what Paul chooses to highlight. First and foremost, the resurrection. To say that the faith in all three senses pivots on the resurrection would be, not be an understatement. In the resurrection, we see the faithfulness of God the Father both to his Son and to his creation, whom he redeems. In the resurrection, we have the linchpin to the content of faith, the fact that proves the case. And in the resurrection, we find the inspiration and aspiration of the faith that believes unto resurrection, the faith in which our sister Erlene died yesterday, and the hope, the confidence that her family, that we all enjoy looking forward. In verse 9, we find faith both as a noun and as an adjective. For which, that is the gospel just mentioned, faith as a noun, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Hear the faithfulness of God in Paul's explanation. It is by God's will that we have his word and by his spirit that we believe. Lenski captures the essence of this passage well when he paraphrases Paul this way. For my gospel, men can do this to me, but with God and God's word, they can do nothing. Me, men can silence, but that is far, far from silencing God. Close quote. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Faith as a verb, the faith of Paul that expresses itself in endurance, and also the faith of the elect that looks forward with Paul to the salvation in Christ Jesus. What a glorious picture of what awaits us in the age to come. It is truly a trustworthy saying, as Paul continues in verse 11. This section, you will note, is set off as a poetic text. Some have suggested it might have been a piece of early hymnody. I'm not terribly impressed with that argument. But what we do have is a series of four conditional statements, each beginning by stating the condition and tied to a conclusion as certain as is the former, so is the latter. We begin, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. This is the faith that is believed. More than that, the faith that has been experienced. It is the death, my death and your death in baptism, and now our life in Christ. The blessed baptism when God declared, you are mine. Luther writes concerning our baptism, In it he, you, have a shield against the assaults of the enemy, 
a reply to the sins that trouble your conscience, an anecdote for the fear, horror of death and judgment, and comfort in every temptation, namely the one truth he expresses when he says, God is faithful in his promises. His sign I have received in baptism is God is for me, who can be against me? Close quote. Verse 12 contains two more conditional statements that are actually polar opposites. First, we hear the faith as a verb, the faith that believes. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Note the future tense. Here belong all the verses in the Bible that speak of Christ, the Christian's crown of victory. James 1, chapter, or verse 12, we heard earlier, then 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd arrives, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Revelation 2, verse 8, and many more that point us to the day of Christ's, resurrect, of Christ's return. But in sharp contrast, we hear of the faith that stumbles. If we deny him, he will also deny us. From this preserve us, dear Lord. We must always be on guard. Temptations abound. Satan is relentless. The bag of flesh that hangs around our necks is never satisfied for long. And finally, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Here we hear of the first faith. Faith is an adjective, stated in unequivocal terms. It all depends on the faithfulness of God. He is immutable, unchangeable. Injustice, yes, and that is a cause to fear for those who resist the Spirit. But he is also changeless in his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness. God creates saving faith in us by the Spirit unto eternal life. It all rests on the character of God as seen in his Son, which is ours by faith. Faith, faithfulness, and faith. It is not the simple opposite of reason as the world would lead us to believe. It is not dispersed by objective facts and hard science. On the contrary, it clings to facts. The historical fact of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. It is the faith that is believed. And because of that, faith that also acts. It endures. It confesses. It seeks and finds its fulfillment in the faithfulness of God. In his faithfulness to his promise of salvation, he accomplished in and through his Son, Jesus Christ our Savior, we have life. Amen.